Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Happy New Year. Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as always. This is episode 49. Again, I hope everybody had a great holiday season. 2019 is here and we are off to a running start at the Drum Shuffle. In just a moment, I am going to be joined by one of the greatest drummers alive. That's right, Marco Miniman, right after this message from Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center, or heart, of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com Follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Lost Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Lost Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're going to be joined here in just a moment by the fantastic Marco Miniman. If you are a drummer, you undoubtedly know exactly who Marco is. He just simply has superhuman capabilities as a musician and drummer. Marco has played with just a who's who of rock, jazz, uh, progressive fusion artists. Uh, He's all over the place. Of course, his main project that he has going on right now is the Aristocrats, just a fantastic band uh, that that everybody should check out, quite honestly. Uh, but we were just thrilled to have Marco on the show. He was very gracious with his time. And when we reached out, he immediately responded and said, I'd love to, let's get it scheduled. So please help me welcome the magnificent Marco Miniman to the drum shuffle. Hey, good afternoon, Marco. How you doing? I am very well. And how are you? I'm doing great. Hey, thanks so much for taking time to come on the drum shuffle. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Well, Marco, typically what we do on the show is is we kind of go through our guests' life, you know, how you became a drummer, all that stuff. All of that information is really, 
I, I think has been covered with you. So instead of, you know, wasting time hearing what our listeners can go find on their own, I think we'll just kind of dive right in if you're okay with that. Fully. <laughs> okay, awesome. So the the number one question that I think everybody wants to to talk about right now is what you're up to these days. Now, I saw on social media this week that the aristocrats are going into the studio right after the first of the year uh, to to record a new record, which I think is awesome. But it's also yeah, for sure. I mean, what a fantastic band! But I think the question on everybody's mind right now is you working with Alex Lifeson. Um, yes. Tell us everything you can about that because I get asked about it every day. Yeah. Which is actually kind of funny because, uh, I worked with Alex Lifeson already last year and, uh, he's actually on my album Borrego and, uh, so is Joe Cetriani and, which is kind of funny. Let me stretch out there a little bit because, um, you know, Alex and I went back, you know, for almost like 10 years when I was actually playing in the band UK with Eddie Jobson. And uh, we did this thing called UKZ. And we had like many musicians, you know, that kind of, you know, went, you know, through the lineups. And, uh, and Alex was one of the candidates, actually, who, who uh, Eddie contacted. And... Uh, by that time, he declined. They were on the road with Rush. But that was already kind of the first introduction where we kind of heard of each other. And um, that must have been in, man, 2010 or something like that, you know. And it was even earlier. And so that was the first, the first time, basically. And then uh, last year, when I did this album, Borrego, that record company I was working with, unfortunately, I have to say, <laughs> they... Um, <laughs> They actually uh, recommended Alex, you know, for the project, and Alex was delighted to do that. And, um, you know, and that was a very, very cool thing. So we started actually working together um, for, that, uh, for that album, Borrego. And the album came out actually pretty good. I mean, it was like a little bit of a, of a financial disaster because by that time the record company was almost broke. And, uh, and I did the whole album pretty much by myself and got into a fight literally verbally almost, you know, with the record company because nobody really was getting paid. And, uh, and then behind my back, they tried to sell the whole catalog for over uh, uh, that album for a hundred thousand dollars to my management. So I was like, wow guys. And so the album didn't have really any promotion. Uh, and I it, it kind of, you know, I was kind of the one kind of, you know, putting it out there and, uh, some people heard about it, but I think, you know, that album could have done better, you know? So it's kind of, I guess, cool that, uh, you know, this thing is kind of, you know, getting maybe some push. So that was the first time I started working with Alex already. And, um, and so the funny thing now is, you know, because after we wrapped up that production, we started, uh, communicating again. And, uh, I sent like a song over that I wrote and Alex loved it. And he started kind of, you know, doing a guitar arrangement to it. And then all of a sudden, we started arranging the song together. And he brought in a vocalist. I brought in actually a bass player like Mohini Day. Uh, she's fantastic. And uh, Alex brought in Mahaya Wynn, uh, which is, she, she's a fantastic singer. And all of a sudden, that thing became sort of alive. And we started working, you know, just, just you know, in a non-pressure environment, just like having fun creating music together. 
And we did this on a few occasions. Then all of a sudden, Nick Bex came into the picture. Uh, so Alex actually lent guitars on uh, uh, one of the new songs of the Mute Gods album, which, uh, which is called One Day. The song is called One Day. And, uh, and that was actually yeah, with myself playing drums and a bit of guitar, and Alex playing guitar, and then Nick Bex obviously being part of it, and Roger King. So we had like all of a sudden this circle, you know, of, of musicians writing together. And, uh, well, Alex started to have so much fun with it and we started, you know, writing more ideas. And next thing you know, it's like, you know, he brought in the riff and, uh, and we started working on that one. And it's an ongoing, uh, procedure. So it, I have to, I have to say, I was like a little bit almost intimidated when I made like a little post about it because artist friend of mine, Tom Colby, did like a little artwork where he put like, you know, the both of us together and edited that picture a little bit, you know, and, uh, and I just did like a little post because Alex and I were talking about releasing like a picture disc vinyl, you know, uh, uh, you know, advanced LP or, you know, or EP with like that one song that we did and maybe another song on the B side. It's a fairly lengthy song. So it's like, you know, around like 10 minutes. And, um, it came up very nice and I thought like, you know, Hey, let's maybe do this together. And, uh, how shall we do this? Is it like a Marco Miniman thing plus you, or shall we actually do this whole thing together? And Alex suggested, yeah, you know, let's put both of our names on them and, and whatever in the cover. Let's do it. Like, you know, uh, 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 Marco and Alex thing or Alex and Marco, because we started literally all of a sudden writing songs together. It was not all of a sudden a project, you know, that I just kind of did on my own and, so I was like very delighted about it, and we all were. And uh, I made like just a little post with that picture, saying you know that we, you know, started collaborating. Right. And it broke the internet, right? Yeah. And I was like, I remember like you know Richard Chicky, like you know the uh, co-producer or and and also engineer for Rush, you know, who also engineered our song, and uh, probably more from the album as well. He, he kind of you know wrote because like. Then congratulations, you know, it's great that you broke the internet. It's so cool that you got Alex, that you got, got Alex, you know, uh, he, he seems enthused and he's, he's great, you know. And, and I was like, and I, I wrote him back. I said like, oh my God, you know, I just wrote like one little sentence and the world went crazy. I was like almost kind of getting shy a little bit there. I was like, you know, hang on, wait a minute, you know. <laughs> like, but I, I'm actually kind of, you know, really happy that it's like, you know, that, that there's like so much enthusiasm about it, you know. So this is what we're doing right now. So, um, yes, you know, Alex and I are working together and, um, you know, and, you know, let's, let's put it that way. It's like, you know, just like a really wonderful musical environment. There was, there's no pressure, you know, like we just kind of, you know, get material together. Alex is having fun. I'm having fun. We have some wonderful guests. So that's really, well, if you want the big news, but you know, be patient. <laughs> Material will be developing, you know. But yeah, that's pretty much you know all I have to say. You know, that's what it is for sure. Well, I mean, you know, I think there are few bands in the world that have quite as rabid a fan base as Rush, and of course, yeah. anytime the the fans of that band hear either Getty or Alex, any of those three guys are doing something, they automatically, and let's face it, let's face it, Marco, if anybody could step into that band, you would be one of the very few drummers alive that 
<laughs> you know, I mean, you, you are without a Thank doubt you. one of the greatest drummers on earth. I mean, it's it's un- well. <laughs> it's, Thank you for saying that. I'm just trying to have fun with music, that's all. <laughs> well, for sure. And, you know, you touched on something else there in your answer that I think is just, I, I think it's absolutely criminal that Borrego did not do better than it did and did not get more attention than it did because it's absolutely. a it's a phenomenal record. I mean, it's great. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. Um, you well, know, I, I mean, it's just... You know, you pointed out, and we talk about this a lot on this show, the the record business, the recording business is not for the faint of heart, even for guys like Marco Miniman, right? Well, you know, I tell you what, the thing is like, and it is a bit unfortunate. I mean, usually I do the solo records all by myself. and uh, But three of them I signed actually with uh, with this one label. And look, you know, I don't want to kind of, you know, spread negativity. Uh, everybody was struggling, I guess, you know, and this is why there was like a little bit of fallout, you know, uh, from especially that album, because, you know, the record end- industry is suffering and, uh, and finding out that nobody really gives a damn anymore. But on the other hand, everybody gives a damn because everybody heard about it. Everybody knows it. And then you hardly sell anything. And uh, Alex is surprised by that as well. You know, we had like literally... You know, when, when we kind of started working on songs together now, recently, you would be surprised, you know, how little support there would be from record, from, from the record industry. Meanwhile, it's like, you know, the, the artists support themselves, you know, by bringing out the, by putting out the records and then relying, you know, on their following, you know. And, um, it is, it is interesting. You know, I remember like, you know, the days when in the nineties, when I sold uh, with this one band I was joining there, I remember like, you know, we sold 150, 170,000 copies on, on, on one of those albums and the record company thought it was a flop. Now, <laughs> if you would sell, if you would sell 170,000 records, man, you know, that is like Metallica, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> so. It's funny how that counts that works, you know. And so the aristocrats, for example, we're doing pretty well, but still, you know, if you if you if you if you check out the numbers or something like that, it's absolutely not what it used to be. So the money that is being made, which is actually a good thing right now, is to de- to detour the record companies and do it on your own. Meanwhile, the music studio is affordable. You can record at home with like fantastic plugins, fantastic equipment. You know, so what you, if you would have paid like for a production, let's say a hundred thousand dollars, like, you know, 20 years ago, you can meanwhile do this at home for free. Yeah. And then you can, you release the album and you keep the publishing, you keep the royalties and you sell it live. Voila. So if you have something to say and it's, uh, and it's worth saying and people kind of follow you, then there you go. I guess, you know, that is the way forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I say this all the time, you know, the good news is anybody can make a record. The bad news is anybody can make a record. You know, it's everybody has a recording studio in their garage, in their basement, in their bedroom. And sometimes great projects like Borrego get lost in just this massive wave of new music that comes out every week. So you almost have to have... A, a marketing budget or a marketing plan at the very least to get any attention with anything now, because there's just so much that comes out week after week after week. Well, yeah, but I tell you what, it's, it's like a yes 
and no, at the same time, from my end to that thing, because look, you know, what we, okay, because they used to, uh, records always came out, and, and the, the market always got swamped with records. The one thing we remember, though, are the good things that we like, you know? So, you know, it's, it's easy to say, you know, uh, that, look, in the 70s, there was like Pink Floyd, Queen, Led Zeppelin, The Who, and Frank Zappa, and all of these guys, but when you kind of look back at the charts and look back at the releases, there was like a lot of other stuff, you know, that we just forgot because, yeah, but you, that's know, true. Just, yeah. you know, that actually happens too. That was like, I remember I was like watching it in Germany, you know, back then I was visiting my parents there and all of a sudden this old TV show disco came on and they had like, you know, and that's when I realized that you kind of looked at the charts and they would present those bands. And then you see like, Shit, 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 shit. Van Halen. Shit, 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 shit. Awful stuff. Shit, shit, shit. The neck. Shit, 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 shit. The police. And so you kind of, you know, focus on Van Halen, the neck, and the police, which was good and great stuff. And that survived. And we don't know. That's the good thing. We don't know in about a decade from now who's going to be the survivor. See, like from the 90s, the people who survived were like, you know, Pjork, Nine Inch Nails, you know, uh, Radiohead. You know, and that and that's kind of the beauty of it, you know, that, you know, once you create a following and if your album is not doing that well, but people remember you always for the quality. I mean, look what happens to Queen right now, you know, now almost like how much is it, 30, 30 years almost after Freddie died, you know, passed away. Queen got bigger than ever because the quality is just so amazing, you know. Yeah. Well, and I read just last week. Years. Yeah, I, I read just yeah. last week that. Uh, this is either the third or fourth time that Bohemian Rhapsody is actually on the charts. That is absolutely correct. Unbelievable, right? It, it so is I, unbelievable. I guess, you know, I guess I guess quality will always win. You know, like you know, or or you know, if you make honest music and you're good, and 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 you and your friends like it, then all of a sudden other people will like it too, and will and will call to you, and uh, you know, and it. But again, yeah, it is unfortunate, you know, with Borrego because there was hardly any budget for promo. And I wish it could have kind of, you know, gotten a bit more attention. But hey, we're still talking about it. So that means somebody cares. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I certainly do. And, and you know, I'm encouraging all of my listeners, go grab a copy. I mean, it's it's just a fantastic. Oh, you. You're welcome. It's a fantastic record. It really is. Now, one other thank thing you. that that. I think you probably get asked about this a lot, but I haven't really heard or seen, um, you know, a follow up on this. But a number of years ago, uh, you know, I think it was 2011 or so. And it's well documented that you auditioned to replace Mike Portnoy in Dream Theater. Um, and and people can do a quick YouTube search and see all the videos and everything. But you you almost became the next drummer of dream theater but since that time you did a really cool project um with jordan rudess from dream theater yeah. tell us a little bit about that project because i uh it was uh lmr 11 minimum rudess yeah fantastic yeah. record talk to me a little bit about that project thank you yeah well, you know, Jordan and I, we started working already earlier, you know, before that whole Dream Theater thing happened, which, by the way, I really, that's like the funniest, 
thing ever. I can, like, in interviews or when people ask me about it, almost kind of, you know, set the alarm clock for, like, okay, and here comes the Dream Theater question. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, it was almost 10 years ago. And, you know, I talked more about it than the audition was. And the funny thing was, you know, that uh, there was not much to say, but I kind of do want to kind of, you know, uh, make some things clear about that. You know, first of all, um, I was never planning on doing this whole thing. It was literally because Jordan and I, which we kind of get to in a second now, we already started working on music together. We were friends by then and, uh, and started collaborating. And, and I knew also Mike Portnoy uh, uh, for years by the time. I was friends with Mike, you know, since 1998 or something, and uh, in, if not even earlier. And, but I was never really, in, you know, and, and nobody should get this wrong, please, but I was never really listening so much to the band. So I wasn't so much familiar with their music, but, you know, uh, we always hung at festivals and shows and we got along great. So when that whole thing happened, Jordan and I had a talk anyways about our new project, which was by, then, by that time called the Musical Mind Melt. That was a different thing from LMR that started earlier. But then I kind of, you know, saw the news and I was, you know, we were just on the side talking about it. I was like, guys, what's happening there? And he goes like, yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, you know. And then we kind of started joking about it, going like, yeah, maybe I should become the drummer. And he goes like, man, actually, do you want, do you, do you want to kind of try out? I was like, no, look, I said, that's not my thing or whatnot. <laughs> next, thing I know is the, next thing I know is the guitar player reached out to me and then the manager and stuff. And next thing I knew is like I was on the plane, uh, uh, jamming with them and I was like oh you know what why not you know let's do it right and um and 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 the funny thing is um it actually worked great um and um I I don't think if there's a document and I, I hate myself for saying that but I have well I gotta be actually honest you know but I remember I was I think the last one to come in you know one of the last drummers but after we played they went into a room and then they came they came back out and I remember like uh the manager being the spokesman with all around and uh, telling me, it's like, hey, you know what? We actually think this was the best audition. Would you be actually, but would you be available? Like, you know, this is like, you know, how many albums do you have of us? And I said, well, I really don't have any albums of you. And uh, I think a friend or somebody gave me once an album. And they said like, wow, uh, how many songs do you know? And I said like, well, the three you just gave me. (laughs) (laughs) And that for them, that for them was a big deal because they were looking for someone, and that's what they also said, who is like a fully dedicated fan of the band, who knows the music, who is into it, and would be available all the time if Dream Theater calls. And, and that is the thing, but by saying all this, you know, I didn't want to kind of, you know, take any attention away or anything from all the fantastic drummers who were there, you know, obviously, you know, uh, uh, amazing as well, you know, or, or amazing, uh, did amazing things. So, you know, but this is what happened. And the next thing that, ha- uh, the next thing that happened was, I actually didn't want to be on the video. So I was, you know, I was just there actually and all of a sudden the whole thing was filmed and I said like, well, guys, and I, I remember like talking to the management and, uh, and uh, he said like, oh, it's going to be great. And I was like, actually, I don't really feel like being part of this. I don't have a good feeling about this, you know? And, and he said like, no, it's great. I'll tell you what. And he said, uh, you know, just look at the footage later on. And if you don't like it, then we'll take it off. And then actually I got the footage sent and by that time I was touring with Eddie Jobson and I remember being in the hotel and he sent me the footage and I said like, well, yeah, it's very nice and flattering, but man, I think, you know, we, I I don't, I don't really want to be part of this whole thing. 
And they went actually along and did it anyways, which was actually not good for me. You know, I, I mean, I didn't like that. I, I, I got a little bit into an argument with the management and, you know, and they said, but look, that's being ungrateful. You, you look great on this video. And they tried to convince me to do it. No, we can't take it off. And I was like, what you said, you can. I, I, I thought you said it was my choice. It was like, oh, look, come on, you know, please do it. Please do it. Please do it. And let's do it. I was like, and I talked to Jordan about it and we agreed. It was like, okay, whatever. So, and it is fine, you know, it's out there and, uh, well, people loved it. And that's the good thing. The one thing that's obviously bothering me is like that I have to talk about it. But, uh, <laughs> still to this day. <laughs> well, but on the other hand, it, it, it got, I guess, you know, it, it got me a whole new bunch of fans. And what I, there are a few things that I regret, you know, because uh, John Petrucci, right after that, asked me to record. Uh, an album with him and also tour with him and I had to decline because I was touring by that time with Stephen Wilson so I couldn't do it but uh, we we always keep in touch they're wonderful people I love those guys and uh, and especially with Jordan we have like you know a very very long you know uh, time friendship and musical relationship I'm just actually on his new album which is coming out as well uh, very soon and uh he might be actually also part of the whole thing, you know, with Alex Lifeson, you know, he might, you know, uh, contribute some keyboard parts. So it's a wonder, it's a wonderful musical pool that we have there, you know? Absolutely. Well, you know, and I, I never want to be the guy that asks the sore question at all, but it, it just goes to show you how we're all interconnected in this crazy business called music you know everybody knows everybody and and the network is how you land that next awesome gig right i mean it's just how it works um so i it's it's pretty much yeah sorry i'm sorry oh no no that's okay i was just gonna say i i just had to ask you about it because i i know everybody does and I get asked about it all the time as well, you know, and, and as, <laughs> as I mentioned, you know, I get countless emails. You should have Marco on the drum shuffle. Well, here, here, here we go, kids. We've got Marco and I ask about the Aww, dream very, theater thing. So there. Yeah, I'm very happy to be part of it. I hope, you know, I hope I didn't project it in the wrong way to someone or something. You know, it's just like it's my my honest opinion, you know, about these things. And it's it's all good. It's all good. Don't get me wrong. You know, so this is actually a. All wonderful experiences, you know. But yeah, it led to, well, I don't know if it, that didn't really lead to the LMR thing. The LMR thing was also an idea uh, by that record company by that time, you know, uh, who signed it. By that time, we got along actually great. That was actually pretty cool. Uh, that was before uh, the whole industry started suffering a little more. And um, and yeah, you know, and, and we got like Tony Levin on board, Jordan and myself. And that was a beautiful creation of those uh, first two LMR albums, you know, because how we uh, uh, actually proceeded with that was each of us wrote songs in our separate studios and uh, brought them to the band, and, uh, and then everybody put the toppings on top. It's basically everybody was the producer for their own songs. You know, we had like equal rights and kind of established this, yeah, these really cool records, you know, by having you know, uh, everybody's input being featured and, and, uh, uh, and assembled. And it's a little bit like with the aristocrats, it's the same way of working because we're all songwriters and also all, all our, uh, our own producers, so, so to speak. Now, the difference though between LMR and the aristocrats was that with LMR, it was like absolutely a home production. We, 
never went into a studio, the three of us, to record something together. So everything you hear on these albums is being put together in, in you know, different places of the world and then kind of sent around and being, you know, sort of assembled and released. With the aristocrats, we write in our homes, but then we bring the music into the studio and play together. We first go into a rehearsal space, we rehearse it, like it is a full-on band thing. The aristocrat is a full-on band. So, you know, so uh, sorry a little bit for the stretch here, but I just wanted to, I kind of just was carried away here. <laughs> sorry. No, I mean, it's great information. And, you know, I'm super excited to hear the new Aristocrats record. You know, as I mentioned earlier, you just kind of said, hey, we've just booked the studio for early 2019. We're, we're going to be going in. Um, is it going to be kind of a continuation of of the previous Aristocrats records, or are you guys stretching out a little bit more? Well, you know, I think we always kind of, you know, uh, went into different directions, let's put it that way, because we, you know, we don't really like to be very repetitive. You know, I guess nobody really wants to be that way, unless you're maybe ACDC and you have like, you know, a good hamburger to make, you know what I mean? You know, like, you know, that recipe tastes the same. <laughs> Yes, which is, which is fantastic. I salute them for the, for those about the rock. There you go. But um, <laughs> yeah, for the aristocrats, we're obviously kind of you know uh, we're always adventurous. You know, we bring our rubber chickens and pigs to the stage, and we have like uh, we work with apps sometimes on stage and do weird kind of things. And on and off we play metal music. On and off we play jazz music. It's um, but uh, the main focus is obviously uh, on the trio. So since we're kind of you know guitar, bass, and drums, we kind of keep that formula, you know. Aristocrat is pretty much, you know, about our voice as as as, the, as players, you know, as musicians who we are, and to bringing our voice into the music. And the rest, I mean, I remember like on our last album, Tres Caballeros, we, we incorporated more and more overdubs, you know. We were not shying away of uh, playing piano parts here and there, or, you know, doing orchestration and stuff like that. And then we would translated life differently you know which is fine you know i i was never kind of a guy who kind of you know was kind of totally set on the idea to go into a studio and just play as a trio what sound and how we could replicate it live that's not the idea i think you know the studio is there to be experimental and to kind of you know stretch the boundaries and kind of you know do whatever you can do and then you know it will sound life a little bit differently and you know, sometimes more raw and you know sometimes more you know with different energy I guess, you know, that's really where it's heading. And, you know, to uh, the new Aristocrats album, obviously, you know, when we start now writing songs, my mindset, at least I don't want to speak for the others right now, you know, but my mindset is definitely to to do something different, you know, to kind of go like, okay, what what songs haven't I written yet for the Aristocrats? What is kind of, you know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. What, what else to say to that? You know, it's, it's you know, you, and, and you want to make the people in the band happy as well. It's kind of a thing. That's the first thing when you write a song, you think about, okay, this is not a Marco Miniman solo album. I'm writing for someone. And that is a, but that's a very important message also, like, you know, for bands and you work in between, you know, in the, not to be selfish, but to be really selfless and to feature the other players and to kind of think about when you write, hmm, how could Guthrie or Brian interpret that song? Or I could hear kind of Brian doing like a really cool bass sound over there. Or I could uh, hear Guthrie doing some very awesome madness over there with like good tones, you know. And will they have fun with that song? 
Will they enjoy playing? You know, this is, this, these are the parts we're thinking about. And I guess, you know, the more we, the longer we play together, the longer we kind of are in, the, in this band format, the more we learn about each other and the more uh, we, res- not, not, we always respected each other, but the more we kind of, you know, focus on each other's uh, talents and get more sensitive, I guess, you know? Yeah, well, and I think the longer you play with a group of people, the more the the chemistry gels and, you know, there's a there's a certain telepathy that you that you get working with somebody for a long period of time, um, you know, like your work with with Joe Satriani. You know, I mean, I think yeah. you've played with him long enough now. You know what he's going to do before he does it. And he knows where you're headed in a song. Right. I mean, it, yeah. that's just kind of how it works. Yeah, I, you know, chemistry will automatically happen sometimes quicker and sometimes slower. It's like one of the things. Sometimes you have like, you know, with the aristocrats, it was like pretty much instant. Like we started playing with Guthrie and it was like before we even hit the stage, just at the rehearsal space, you know, like days before our show, we were like, oh my God, this is special. You, you feel it, you know, it's like a thing. You just, all of a sudden you click like magically, you know, and sometimes... Sometimes it works lightning fast and sometimes you calibrate, you know, as you get along. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Marco, I want to be respectful of your time and, and we're It's okay, man. It's okay. All good. Okay. Well, you know, I mean I, I just want to be respectful of your time, but I do have a couple of other things that I want to touch on with you. Um No problem. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, awesome. Your discography includes, you know, pop, rock, metal. Prague, jazz, um, you know, you, you truly are a master of all these different genres. I, I don't think there's anything that you can't comfortably play. Do you have a, a favored style to play? I mean, is it, do you prefer the rock or, or is it just you enjoy all of it so much you, you do it all? Well, uh, you know, I think... See, I'm a big music fan. You know, I grew up listening to, to all sorts of music. My parents are big music lovers. You know, they introduced me at a very young age to awesome music. I was kind of listening to Jethro Tull when I was like five, six years old, to Led Zeppelin, to Queen, but also to Miles Davis and to all sorts of other kind of things, you know. And, and, and I picked my favorite bands from there, right? And then I started to get into it. And, uh, and I believe that everything you understand and, and everything you love with like an open heart, you automatically can translate it. You, because if you're able to understand, or if you understand it, you'll be able to play it. If your vocabulary allows you to, obviously, you, you know, you got to learn an instrument, right? right. But, um, but that's the thing, you know, so I, you know, I feel as comfortable playing Prince as I would play, a Miles Davis tune or a Frank Zappa tune or, you know, like a speed metal tune or, or, or rock music. Right. But there are definitely, you know, uh, over, the, you know, w- w- as the years go by, you kind of, you know, ha- learn to have a sound. I remember like it was a hard time, not a hard time, you know, because it, it was like, it, it, it just happens naturally, but it was like a, an interesting time combining all sorts of instruments on the drums. I remember when I look back like about like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, my drum set started 
getting bigger and bigger and I had like all sorts of percussion percussion thing I would play with my feet, you know, and uh and all sorts of cymbal sizes and 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 at some point I kind of, you know, uh, listened back and I thought like man, I always hated that little kind of foot tambourine with the la- on the left side I would play. I was like, why? I don't need that shit. And so I got rid of it. And it's, and it's the same with like, you know, certain sex, you know, like China symbols that sounded way too muffled and way weird and stuff like that. I mean, I loved it. I loved the sound by the time. But after a while, you kind of sort things out a little bit. And you go like, hang on, this kind of hi-hat does not sound the way I kind of want it. Do I really need this? What instruments do I really li- like? What sizes do I really like? And then all of a sudden, you just focus on your sound that you want to hear. And I think about like 10 years ago, actually, yeah, only that, that much time ago, I kind of found my recipe, my basically my standard drum set that pretty much uh, gives me the sound I like and makes me feel comfortable, which has like tom sizes from 8, 10, 12, uh, 16 and 18 toms, then like a gong drum, which is a 22, then uh, two snare drums, both 14, mainly, like one is like, you know, a metal snare, one a wooden snare, and then uh, a bunch of cymbals, actually not that many, like, you know, let's keep it to two or three crash cymbals, and uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think three crash cymbals, sometimes four, then uh, two belts, uh, two hi-hats, uh, both 14 inch as well, a 20-inch ride cymbal, uh, and a China crash, maybe one splash, a bigger one. So this is my stand-up, my standard drum set, you know, and uh, obviously I can define now, you know, what kind of uh, uh, sizes and uh, what kind of, you know, if it's a K or if it's an Adidas or whatnot, but it would kind of, you know, go, yeah, I mean, people can look it up online, you know, my drum set is pretty much specified on a lot of pages. But that's the sound I like, and um, honestly, Sound-wise, I'm more of a rocker. I just, I am a rock guy. You know, so I do like a cracky snare. I do like a low kick drum. And I like a clear and transparent and powerful sound. Um, so that is kind of the thing. You know, obviously dynamics are important then as well. But I think, you know, that's the sound I like, you know. And so I would kind of see myself sort of as a rock drummer with a little you know, edge to it or like jazz or experimental kind of touch, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a fantastic answer, but I mean, you know, there's, there's videos of you out there playing with the buddy rich big band, for example. Yeah. And, and, I love it. Yeah. It, you know, and when I first saw that, I was like, Oh man, this is, this is going to be weird. I mean, that was my first reaction, <laughs> but it was awesome. I mean, it, you, you can swing Thank too, you. I, you know, and, and you start thinking, God, is there anything this guy can't do? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, thanks so much. But you know what? Stuff like that, especially big band music, is almost a bit like metal. You know, it has like a lot of drive. It has a lot of drive, you know, and, and I love it. It has a lot of power, you know, and um, so there's energy. I guess that's the right word, you know, and so... Uh, yeah, the ability to swing or something like that. I guess, you know, that that happens naturally if you like the music and if you and if you kind of, you know, dive your head into it and if you kind of learn it. And then it's just it becomes just fun. You just you just hop on the on the horse and start riding it. I fucking love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, tell us tell us what your practice routine is like. I mean, I know you you stay super busy recording and you've got all these different projects going on all the time. 
But what is your day-to-day practice routine like? Well, <laughs> this is actually a funny, it's got to be an interesting answer now. It's, it's kind of funny because Guthrie and I, my guitar player Guthrie Goffin, you know, we have pretty much both the same answer always because we don't really practice. <laughs> oh, come That's on, man. Good. Come no, on. No, no, no. I, I mean, I used to a lot, you know. And, and, okay, well, okay. You know, yes, in a way, we do practice, of course, because we learn the new songs that we kind of prepare. And if we hear something in our head, then we want to be able to play it. But I tell you what, you know, my practice schedule was usually I kind of spent a lot of time, first of all, refining the technique, finger control technique, you know, versus like, you know, the wrist checking technique, then, you know, the feet, then the independence. Uh, but it's like learning an alphabet, isn't it? I know many people said that before the same way, I'm sure, but it is. It's like a language. So when I kind of, you know, talk to you, I don't think if there's the word, if there's like one L in the word talk, I just speak to you, right? I just, I just do it. And that's the same with the music. You learn like an alphabet and then you form your sentences the way you want them to, right? You know, you don't get up in the morning and learn the alphabet again. So I think, you know, that happened, that happened pretty much, you know, in uh, mainly in my teenage years where I kind of got completely mad and kind of, you know, practiced sometimes like six to eight hours a day and, uh, and was just hungry for, all sorts of technique, independence, experience, playing with many bands at the same time. But that's actually the word, I guess, and the trigger is like experience. That's the word, you know, because as a teenager, you still learn. You have to learn, you know. You have to kind of, you know, uh, jump sometimes inside uh, uh, in the pool and find out if the water is cold or hot, you know, And uh, but you just got to do it. And, uh, and with age and with traveling and, and playing experience, these things get kind of, huh, it's a little bit like a, like a wine or something, I guess, you know, you get like, <laughs> you know, the older it gets, you know, sometimes the taste gets better or something. You, you know, you develop, you develop differently. I, I mean, I wish to think that way. And, um, and at some point I didn't feel guilty not having this practice routine anymore. It got less and less and less and less. Because the work I was doing and the playing I was doing was getting more and more and more and more. So all of a sudden, the times from, hey, I want to learn and I prepare for something were no more because you were all of a sudden in it. Everything you wanted to kind of do with the practice schedule, you were doing because you were out touring with all the musicians you wanted to play. You were all of a sudden able to translate the alphabet and your language into the music. And that's, you know, a wonder, wonder, wonderful thing and also like a very peace-giving thing. You know, for me, it was like, you know, absolutely giving me peace. All of a sudden kind of seeing like, oh, hang on, I can go inside a room, decorate it, and then, you know, if you like the room, you can go to the next room. That was like, you know, for me, releasing my first solo album, for example, The Green Mind Bomb, when I was kind of letting all this, all this stuff out. It was just like a call for an audience to see like if somebody likes it. And when the call got heard and I got response, that gave me the right to continue and decorate the next room. And all of a sudden you build a house. And, but, but those, those steps are not, were kind of delicate. You think like, okay, they like the first album. Let's see. Uh, hopefully that, I guess it gives me the right to do the second album. Hmm. I hope they like the second album. Oh, they do. Oh, that's awesome. And then after the fourth or fifth album, it gives you like this inner peace where you all of a sudden go like, 
hang on, I must be doing something right. I guess I can just do freely my music and it will get heard and, and, and hopefully in a good way. And, and, and that's, and I guess, I guess this is where, where I'm pretty much at just to kind of being without any prejudice, without any high expectation, without any sort of, you know, monetary kind of greed or without any sort of, uh, you know, uh, 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 way to please someone, but particularly, I, I don't, I don't have these things. The only thing I have is like, I want to be creative. I would love to be creative because that's how I learn, you know, because every time I kind of work on the new album, I try different recipes. And if I like the music and I'm happy with it, you know, then I'm playing it to the people. And if they like it, you know, then, then it gives me the right to continue. And that's a wonderful conversation we're having i guess that's like really kind of an energy exchange i always say that right you you give you give energy to the people and they bring the energy back you know and i hope it's a positive one <laughs> absolutely and and you know you i think you said the key word in there it's you know try a new recipe which i i think is a just a fantastic way to look at it um marco one of our traditions here on the drum shuffle is we always ask our guests for a good piece of advice for other musicians or other drummers. Um, you've had just a, an amazing career that we hope continues for another 30, 40 years, however long you want to do this. But share with us a good piece of advice that you've picked up uh, since you've been doing this professionally. Yes. Uh, well, thank you. First of all, you know, the, um, I'm trying my best, you know, <laughs> but, um, it is fun. I'm having fun with music. It will never go away. So that's, 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 uh, it's embranded, you know, and, uh, it's, a, it's the beauty of it. And I want to exactly give like, you know, this advice to younger players, you know, kind of believe in the beauty of music and you know, what you listen to, it has like, you know, you, you have, you have a lot of passion inside yourself. Just, follow this passion, follow this love and, uh, and just do it with love. You know, I guess, you know, that is really an important part and don't let others hinder you. That is a thing, you know, because a lot of people you meet are envious or they want a piece of the pie. They want to kind of get in. They want to kind of talk you out of things. They want to correct you. If you have something that you believe in, just follow your path. It's, it's the right, it's the right way. It's the right way. Seriously, because people like to label you know, that's like a thing. It's like with all the great bands you hear, they're unique. Like, you know, if you stay unique, you know, that's like a precious thing to have. The biggest compliment that somebody can give you is like when they say like, wow, I've never heard anything like this before. You know, that is something to treasure, you know, and, and it happens that a lot of, I remember like in the 70s and 80s, a lot of critics were uh, criticizing bands like Queen, for example, who always were pushing the boundaries. And at first, and the reason why they were doing this because they didn't know how to handle a band like that. They would go like, oh, I can put it in the drawer somewhere, so it must be shit. But it's not. And exactly the same critics, the same people later on will, would come back and would go like, oh my God, this is one of the best things actually we've ever heard. You know, how were we so ignorant? You know, how could we... It's like, you know, this is how you kind of... Uh, this is how you kind of, you know, push music and kind of, you know, do new and fresh things, you know. So believe in yourself, be unique, and um, don't let yourself hinder you, you know, whatever people say, you know, do the thing you like. That's great advice, Marco. Hey, man, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. We really appreciate it. It goes without saying, 
anytime you have something to say to drummers, you are welcome on this program anytime, Marco. We would love to have you back. Uh, thank you so much. You know, it means a lot to me. And uh, it was a great, uh, great chat that we had. Fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you very, very soon, Marco. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. All right. See ya. All right, everybody, that's going to wrap up episode 49 of the Drum Shuffle. Thanks again to Marco Miniman for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on the show. It was a great honor to have just one of the greatest drummers alive on our show. I hope you guys got as much out of that interview as I did. Thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in week in and week out. We simply can't exist without you guys listening, quite honestly. Uh, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using to listen in to the show. We have some great guests coming up. January is shaping up to be a banner month for the Drum Shuffle podcast. Next week, I'm going to be joined by the great Charlie Mills. Charlie grew up uh, in New Jersey, played with a very young John Bon Jovi back in the day. Charlie went on to be the drummer in Skid Row. He also played in D. Snyder's solo band. And Charlie is up to some just wonderful stuff in his life now uh, as a uh, life coach, quite honestly. Uh, I don't know how else to say it, but Charlie's a great guy. We're going to be joined by him next week. We have Dina Toriello coming up on the show, who just wrapped up her run with the fantastic Broadway show Head Over Heels. Uh, we're also going to be joined by the great Rich Redmond this month. So we've got some great guests coming up, and I don't want you to miss any of those episodes. We love hearing from each and every one of you throughout the week. You can do so at the Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com. We do answer every single email that we receive here at the show. Uh, of course, you can reach us on the internet at thedrumshuffle.com, and you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Again, thanks to each and every one of you for tuning in. We certainly appreciate it. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.